Hey, story seekers, it's Nisha, and you are now listening to Nisha's Open Diary, where the stories are real and the tea is all about me. Welcome to my podcast. I am Nisha, and you are now listening to Nisha's Open Diary, where the stories are real, authentic, and the tea is all about me. So if you like story times, we're going to get right into this week's topic that is about the time I went to school and I told my fourth grade teacher what was happening at home because it had to stop. So without further ado, let's get right into the story time. So by this time, I'm in fourth grade, so I had to be about nine or ten years old at the time. And as I stated in the last episode, my mother was fed up. I was fed up. We were all fed up. I wanted her to leave him. And those pictures of her with the black eye when she went to the hospital for the attempted suicide after she had swallowed all those pills. I I remember a couple of episodes back, I told you I had stole those pictures and I had hid them in my room. And the day had finally come. I got enough courage to take those pictures to school. And I knew that shortly after that shotgun incident, I just knew that things were coming to some kind of head. Some kind of disaster because she was just having thoughts of killing him. Not only that, if my mother had decided to go through with it, she would be in prison. She would have been in prison for sure because she had no record of the abuse with the police. She never reported it, never pressed charges, even when she was in the hospital. They asked her about her home life. They asked her about the black eye, how she got it. She lied and she covered for him. She never wanted to have him locked up, despite what he was doing to her, despite what he was doing to us. And as I said, yep, I took them pictures to school and I showed them to my teacher. And this teacher was my favorite teacher. I don't know if this man is still alive today. I know for sure he probably ain't teaching, but his name is Roger Paya and he worked at the elementary school that I went to at the time, which was Miles Park Elementary School. And I never had another teacher like him in any grade from from elementary all the way up through college. He was a real one. And that man helped me out of that situation because when I told him what was going on, he took action. He didn't take what I told him lightly. And after I had showed him those pictures, that ball of anxiety that seemed to live within me sunk into the bottom of my stomach. I was so scared of what was going to happen next. My biggest fear was being taken away from my mother. And it was this one time in school where, you know how like it'd be your birthday at school and you you most, you most do this in elementary school and it's your birthday or whatever and you might bring cupcakes or cake or whatever kind of treat it is you want to bring to your class to share with everybody in your class. I know everybody done, done that at some point in time. You're probably doing it right now if you got kids with your kids at school. Um, So it was my birthday and my mother and my father, they brought my cake up to the school for me to share it with my class. And Mr. Paya met him. And the way he was up in there carrying on with them kids, interacting with everybody up at the school and stuff, acting like he was just an ideal father, like he was so good. I was just sitting back in the back of my mind just thinking like, look at this ninja right here just look at this ninja right here because that ain't who you is at home ninja that ain't who you is behind closed doors oh i'm saying ninja but i want to say the real word because ninja 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 that is not who you is behind closed doors at home made me sick 
to my stomach. <laughs> Make me want to gag. You up in here playing daddy dears to these other kids when you dogging me at home. Dogging my mother at home. Dogging my brothers at home. Treating us like shit. So, Mr. Payer couldn't believe it. He said, no, not your dad. He was such a nice man. You mean to tell me that nice guy did this to your mom? And I'm telling him like, yeah, like, yeah, he did. Like, that's what he do. And he took the pictures and he told the principal. And then they called CPS and the police. And after that day, I have never seen them pictures again. Never got them back. And he then pulled me to the side in class and told me not to worry because everything was going to be okay. But for the rest of the school day, I was on edge. I was watching that clock to be on the wall in the classroom and I'm dreading 3.30 coming because you could not have told me that somebody didn't call them. Somebody didn't call and tell them about what I was saying and what I was accusing them of. I just knew that they was going to call and tell them and it was going to be, it was going to be up when I got to the house or when, you know, when he got me home or whatever. Um, I just knew he was going to kill me for what I had done. But at that point, somebody was going to die either way. And the way I saw it, it was either him or us. So somebody had to step up and protect us. So I stepped up. And eventually, the school day was over. And boy, when I tell you, the anxiety I felt was like no other. My stomach was cramping. My heart was about to jump out of my chest. When I tell you I had the bubble guts, like, like you know, them butterflies, like it's that weird feeling you have in your stomach when it's something that you dreading or something that you're upset about. Like, you know how your stomach be so upset that you can't eat? Like I was having all of that and more going on. And I remember my teacher took me to the office at the end of the day and the principal was in her office. She had the police up there. She had people from CPS up there. And I'm just scared, like, oh, my God, what what have I just done? Like, to me, my world was crashing down, like, I'm about to be taken away from my mother. And so, don't you know that area, everybody had been in an elementary, a school, period. You know how, like, when you go in a school office, the area where the reception is at, and it'd be them little chairs in there where you can wait right there if you didn't got in trouble or whatever you in the office for? They had me sitting in them chairs. And Mr. Payas sitting next to me. And he was a real source of comfort because he was comforting me and telling me, oh, don't worry. I'm starting to cry and stuff. He like telling me to calm down. It's okay. You're not in trouble. He's reassuring me that I did the right thing and this, that, and the third or whatever. But I'm really feeling like I'm in trouble. Like what I'm thinking, like what have, what did I just do? And so eventually they called me into the office and Mr. Payer comes in. He asked me, do you want me to come in with you? Because again, I felt like he was somebody I could look up to. Like he was a source of comfort. I felt like I could trust him. And so he came in with me and then he's basically like telling me it's okay to talk to them. It's okay to tell them what you told me and this, that, and third or whatever. And so, you know, they trying to figure out, I guess if this, what I'm saying is the truth. Um, they're trying to figure out if they're going to allow me to go home and, I ain't got time for none of that. I ain't got the time. I got to get up out of here. You gonna get everybody messed up if I don't get up out of here. I'm trying to get out of there quickly before that became a problem. When he started asking me what took me so long to come out. And that would have got me beat. Like if if the, my brothers and them is already out there to the car. Because I had to get the two that was younger than me out there to the car too. I had to pick them up. From where they got let out and stuff. And if I wasn't doing that, that was going to be an issue. Because he's going to be questioning me about what, where, when, and how. Why wasn't I doing what I was supposed to be doing? 
And so I'm adamant about this. I'm telling them, like, please, I have to go. Y'all going to cause everybody to get beat because of this right here. So they let me go because I kept saying, I got to go. He's waiting, please. So I guess they didn't want anything to appear out of the ordinary. And they eventually released me. Um, We went home and I was engulfed in fear. I'm surprised nobody, not him, my brothers or my mother, noticed how shook I was. Some time went by and I'm going to say four something, maybe five something. There was a knocking on the door. And you would have thought I had seen a ghost. Because I knew what was up. And I ain't say nothing to nobody. It was all a surprise to all of them. I think we was finishing up our homework. And that day was kind of mellow. It was kind of mellow and quiet. And that was kind of ironic actually. Um, But we were all in that foyer area doing homework. He was in the living room doing whatever he do. And my mother, being the mother that she was, was helping us with our homework. And followed by that loud knock at the door, I heard a voice say, it's the police, Mr. Curry, open up. Also, when I was being questioned at school, I told them about the shotgun he kept behind the couch. Basically, I sung like a canary. I told them everything. And when I heard them saying they was out there, I was like, oh my God. Yes, baby. The cavalry have arrived. And a sense of relief rushed over me. I'm saved. And finally, finally, maybe I can breathe easy for once. So they was ready for whatever. So he is not responding to them. He is not responding to their request to open that door. He's looking around at everybody. And he looked pissed. Well, shit. He ain't looked pissed. He was pissed. Okay. And he looked right at my mother. and He's mouthing to her. But he's not speaking loud. He's mouthing to her. Bitch. Did you call them? And my mother just looking scared and, and saying no, like she, she don't know why they there and stuff or whatever. So eventually they didn't go away. They still knocking. They still saying open up the door or whatever. And basically it got to a point where they telling him open up or they coming in. They, they coming in whether he opened the door or not. And I can't remember if they had a warrant or, or whatever, or, you know, um, what, what is it? Whatever it is they have where they can just come up in your house or whatever. Yeah. Warrant. I don't know if they had none of that, but they letting them know they fenced to come up in there. And he yelled, all right, hold on. But he didn't go to the door. He sent my mother to the door to try to tell them everything was okay. They wasn't needed there. And, you know, she asking them, you know, what's the problem? You know, whatever. So, um, but what the police couldn't see from our side is the living room is attached to that foyer area. And it's, it was like this little window area that you could kind of see into the foyer from. And it was kind of behind the back door. He's back there directing her. Like, you know how like on a movie or whatever, when somebody be behind the door and they have a gun or whatever the case may be. And they tell a person, yeah, if you say this, anything got the way, if you do anything, you're going to basically he telling her like she say anything got the way. If she do anything, she getting fucked up. And so she's basically just trying to engage them off of his directions and you know she's just trying to convince them to leave because apparently he had more control over her I guess like to make her do whatever he wanted versus you know the police being there or whatever she could have said whatever like he right here he she could have said something right there and just let him in or whatever but I don't know so as he's directing her from the living room I know she just as scared as us I know she is I can see it I can see it in her her body language, the way she's talking, the way she's moving. And I would have think they would have seen something was up just from that. 
So basically she's still, you know, trying to talk to them, get them to leave whatever. They ain't hearing it. They ain't with it. So they basically forced their way in and CPS followed. And CPS wasn't playing no games at all. They said they were coming to check on their kids. Oh, yeah. I said that. Yes. They said they were coming to check on their kids. And I guess they said that because my mother was receiving public assistance. And I guess they were saying that because she was receiving that, that we belong to the state, i.e. their kids. And the social worker in charge, who was the head of that whole little team that they brought out there, she was stern, direct, and she wasn't taking no bullshit. She was actually a little, mm, she was a B, okay? <laughs> um, and after they had rushed in, the police went looking for him and he was in the living room and he went to reach for the gun and they said, uh-uh, and they grabbed and cuffed him. And then he said, oh, no, he got to get his contacts or whatever, just anything for him to try to have his hands free because he is definitely the type that's going to throw down with the police like they would have had to shoot and kill him because he that one. He don't care if you know police or whatever. He would get down with anybody. And me and my brothers are just standing there watching all of this play out. My ass is big as saucers and I'm just looking like, is anybody going to know that I'm the reason why they're here? And I'm not going to lie. The caseworker, the social worker, whatever her title, she was a real B. And she was on my mother's head. Okay. She was really getting on my mother's case. She was like, I felt like she was blaming my mother for everything. And like she asking my mother, like, what you want to do? You want to stay or you want to leave? Because we taking our kids. And mind you, my mother is pleading and begging for them not to arrest him too. Trying to say he never hit her. Trying to protect him. And she told my mother, you protecting this man that's mistreating you and your kids? Look, you are grown. You can stay with him if you want to. The choice is yours. But the kids are coming with us. Now, as I'm watching all of this go on, my mother is arguing with CPS. I feel horrible. Because even though my father shouldn't have been abusive to my mother or us, I had mixed feelings. Because that is still my father, good or bad. And I wanted to love him. I wanted to love him. And as I watched him cuff him and take him into custody, it hurt. I felt like I had betrayed him. Even with all the hurt, emotional, physical, and verbal abuse he was inflicting on us, I never wanted him in jail. I never wished bad things on him. I just wanted a father who wasn't abusive to me, who wasn't abusive to my mother, and who wasn't abusive to my siblings. So they are taking him past us and out the front door to the police car that's waiting out there. You would have thought I was happy, but it was just the opposite. I felt bad. I felt like what I had done was wrong. I was remorseful and... Now, when I look back on it, I feel like I was thinking like a battered woman, like wanting to protect him, even though he was doing what he was doing. And as that was happening, CPS told us it was also time for us to go. So my mother is now trying to fight the people from CPS and the police had to intervene. We were yelling and screaming. No, we're not going holding on to the stair railings, crying for my mother, grabbing for her, reaching for her. We are kids trying to fight them. But the police 
and CPS just picked us up and took us to a waiting van to transport us to the Metzenbaum Center to be placed in the care of the state. But my mother begged and pleaded with them not to take us there and put us in the system. She pleaded with them to take us to our grandmother. So that's what they did. We went to live at our grandmother's house across town. Now I'm not sure if my mother was informed about the fact that I was the one who went to school and told what was going on in the house. But she had put on this act for my father because she didn't want to, she didn't want to stay there either. She wanted to leave just as much as us. But for some reason, she felt like she had to create some kind of escape plan or whatever when she could have just left with us. I don't, I never got that part. I never did. Still don't. Um, so she stayed at the house alone until his arraignment. And when his arraignment day came, of course, his brother and his mother were there along with my mother. And my mother is playing this role of, oh, she supported him. She's there for him and yada, yada, yada. But that day, his mother is belittling my mother. And she's telling her, why does she lie on him? You know he didn't beat you. You know he ain't never beat them kids. Asking my mother, what's wrong with her? Why you lying on him like that? Which is crazy as hell. Because he be beating you up too. Throwing you down basement stairs, your own son. So, of course... He made bail because his mother and brother posted it, which my mother was not happy about. And she told them that she ain't had no money because she didn't get her check. So they ended up back at the house together alone. And my mother is playing this role of they took the kids. The state has them in custody. That they lost custody of us. And as my mother told me, he was losing it. He was going crazy, which to me is crazy because how you doing all this? How you just so upset because you think the state then took custody of your kids when we there? You act like you don't care nothing about us. You mistreating us. You beating us. You beating a mother like make it make sense. OK. And she told me personally, he was going in my room, laying on my bed, hugging my teddy bears. Holding my toys and my dolls and stuff. Hugging them and stuff. And then he would get upset. And get angry. And get to going off and tearing up my room. And destroying the room and stuff. And she is just there. Not knowing what to do. Walking around him on eggshells. Trying to figure out her escape plan. Which really gets me. It, it really grinds my gears because girl the police was there with cps and they tried to rescue you too they tried to get you up out of there and you stayed for what to make him believe or think what you ain't have to leave in no certain way and i was so mad at her for that like that that was on her like what was going on girl you could have just left with us and told him i'm out this over with Bye, Ninja. Like, no, but she didn't for whatever her reason was. And if my memory serves me correctly, she was there with him for some weeks until he was trying to get physical again. And this one day she was supposed to work. And of course, 
my mother always worked nights. She always worked them graveyard shifts like 11 to 7. And at the time, she was working at this place called Aftercare. And it was a mental facility for people with stuff, you know, with things going on like schizophrenia and those type of things where they're no longer in a mental hospital, but they're in like, that's hence the word, the name of the place she worked at, Aftercare, because even though they still have issues, they reside in a facility outside of a mental institution and it's like it's still like a lockdown type of situation and so this place where she worked at was around the corner from where my grandmother's house was so he dropped her off at work for her overnight shift but in all actuality she had lied to him because that was her escape and she went in the building, which again, you cannot enter this building without, I don't know if it was a key or a key card, but you cannot just access the building and go in there. So she went in the building like she was going to work, stood in the hallway and waited for him to leave. And when the coast was clear, she hauled ass around to my grandmother's house. Mind you, this, her job was like some blocks away from my grandmother's house. My grandmother lived on 97th and it's might have been like two or three blocks over there from there or something like that. Um, so, yeah, when the coast was clear, she made her way over to us. And we were worried. We were so worried he was going to come over there. But I guess he didn't come over there because he couldn't stand my grandmother and a feeling was pretty much mutual. And I'll get into why. He couldn't stand her later on down the road. Um, so the next morning when she was supposed to be, it was coming up time for her to get off around that 7 a.m. hour. Um, she called him and told him that they needed her to stay longer and work a double because somebody called off again. She was lying. What she really did was catch the bus to this gun store. And the name of the gun store is called Atlantic Gun and Tackle. And she went there to buy a gun. And I remember it well because, yes, she showed it to us. It was a 25 caliber pistol and it was white with either silver or chrome on the handle and stuff. And she got it and she returned to my grandmother's house. And we were all hiding out there at my grandmother's house. And we weren't allowed to go outside. Any knock at the door. Anything we was running, ducking, and had jumping and claws. We was scared because he had put the fear of God in us, and that went on for a while, being skittish and jumpy. And eventually, she called the house, and he thought she was called for him to come and pick her up from work. But my mother proceeded to tell him it was over. She was leaving him. She was done with him beating her, mistreating her and us. And you know that that news did not go over well with him. So then he began to attack her verbally because she isn't in his reach at the time. So it ain't he couldn't beat her down because she wasn't in his reach. So then she went on to tell him that she bought that gun. And if he ever came near her or us again, she would blow him away. And while this conversation is going on, my mother is holding the phone out from her ear for the room to hear. As in, it's us, 
and my grandmother and I don't know who else was there at the time so that we can hear what he is saying. And he is going off, telling her F her, calling her out her name, every name you can think of, every name in the book. You can't do shh without me. Don't no man want no woman with four kids. And none of that was surprising that he would even say that. And then he said, F U B, I ain't got no kids. And then he hung up. And after that day, I didn't see him again until 2015, 2016. And that phone call was around, I'm going to say that call happened when she called to let him know that it was done with. That was around 1990, 1991, maybe. And yeah, it, it was years and years and years until I seen him again. And so we continued living with my grandmother for months. And he had moved out of the house and he had trashed the house. And since we were so afraid to go back, my uncle ended up moving in so somebody could be there. And, you know, look over the house or whatever. And my mother was not able to move at the time because she didn't want to lose her section eight. So like I said, my uncle had moved in to watch the house for that time period. And after so many months of living with my grandmother, my mom decided it was time to move back home. And my old friend came back like it had never left. The anxiety I always carried within me was back. I remember my mom took us to this restaurant that wasn't far from our house. In this shopping district called Shaker Square. And I guess she's trying to, you know, get us in that area. Like trying to, you know, get us acclimated and get us used to the fact that we're going to be back in that house again. You know, trying to ease us into the situation because it was a very difficult situation. We're crying. We're upset. We don't want to go back. There's nothing but bad memories. Like, so we had an early dinner before we headed to the house. This was an Italian restaurant with great pizza, spaghetti, pasta, you name it. And she let us order whatever we wanted. But I felt so sick to my stomach that I couldn't even enjoy it. Like I didn't even really want to eat for real. So I just sat there while everybody else ate. And I remember her asking me what was wrong. But given the situation, I just said nothing. But in all actuality, I was upset. I didn't want to go back to that house ever. It was a scary place for me. Filled with mostly painful memories that I could be reminded of in any room I went in in that house. So we finished up at the restaurant and headed to the house. And it was just the most uncomfortable situation being on edge all the time being jumpy being scared tossing and turning at night scared to go to sleep I was so scared you could not have told me he wasn't gonna break in and get us I thought it was only a matter of time until he came and killed us or beat her again or killed her I was scared to be alone in the house I was scared to be in that house at all every room I entered Every corner I turned, I just knew he was going to be there. 
my own father was like the boogeyman and he had put the fear of God in me. And as the days turned into months, things did get easier. And eventually my fear started to be less and less, but I always had my guard up. If I was outside, I might run in the house and lock the door if I thought he drove by. Because at times his mother and brother would drive by the front of the house calling us to the car. But we would run inside. I thought they'd kidnap me and take me to him. It took a very, very, very long time for me to get used to living there and fight past my anxiety and fear. We lived in that house for years. I mean, years after that stuff happened, after he was gone. Right up until the end of eighth grade. I think I was getting ready to go into ninth grade. And I'm visualizing that house now. And all of the memories still remain. And it really can bring me to tears just thinking about it. Nonetheless, we got through it. And as time moved forward, so did we. And again, all of these domestic violence incidents were, unfortunately, staples in my childhood. Nope, we have reached the end of this episode. All right, story seekers, I am out of here until next time. Make sure you follow me on all socials at Nisha's Open Diary and my website at nishasopendiary.podbean.com. And go stream this podcast on all platforms. I also invite you to tune into my next episode where I will be talking about why I believe my mother put up with all of my father's abuse. So until next time, I will meet you where the pen meets the diary.